I've titled the message this morning, Anticipating God in 2024. I got there from thinking about this last year, and I'm certainly glad that this time last year, I had no idea what last year was, what this past year would be like. But I am hoping and praying, and then I'll, I will share that this next year, beginning at midnight tonight, will be a far better year for all of you, all of us, indeed even for the world. I pray it will be a better year for the church, a better year for the unsaved who will become saved. But let's get into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for giving us your word, for protecting and preserving your word, for inspiring holy men of God to hear you and to write where you have inspired them to write. Father, we thank you that despite many things that are going on in this world right now that are quite ugly and evil, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you don't change. And I pray, Lord, that as we share this morning that we'll all be able to receive some serious hope from that fact. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Now, let me clear this up. I got something here. Gotta, sorry, I'm going through a mess here right now. There we go. That's what I wanted. Finally, okay. I'm going to begin this morning. I'm going to read the first three verses of Matthew 16, which is where we'll be going next week when we go into Matthew 16. But for now, we're just going to read these first three verses and then we'll spin off from that. We read, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked what he would show them, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, 
You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. At every new year, the experts try to determine what will happen in the coming 12 months. They look at it politically, economically, culturally, socially, and in the church, we look at it spiritually as well, trying to get a grasp on what we don't yet know. <laughs> the tabloids, yeah, there still are tabloids by the grocery store checkout counters, those newspapers of junk. The tabloids and the fringe social media even take it a step further. They consult astrologers and psychics, palm readers and all of that type of stuff, who supposedly predict the future for the new year. Christians know that the future is not seen in the stars. It's not seen in the innards of animals or in the minds of so-called psychics. Even the brightest and best minds cannot predict what 2024 holds for us, except God, except God. But spiritually speaking, we should be wise to our immediate future. At the beginning of Matthew 16, as we just read, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and Sadducees for not discerning the times in which they lived, for not seeing what was literally right in front of them. They were better at predicting the weather than, than Bible study, for which they were considered experts. I'm sorry, I couldn't help but thinking of certain people on the news and the weather programs where they predict the weather and how often they are very wrong. At least they say predicting, not promising or prophesying. But spiritually speaking, like I said, these experts speaking right to their own Messiah, who their own scriptures had told them would be there at that time and in that place. But they were ignorant, again, of what was right in front of them. In the same way, many Christians today live in ignorance of God's mighty workings because of their neglect of the Word of God. What are some things we can anticipate our God doing in 2024? Are there any clear-cut answers in the Scripture? Where will we be this time next year? This time next year when all the political falls are all in the election and the, all that, 
will be done. Where will we be this time next year? I think we can accurately anticipate, even predict, even predict several things. First, we should anticipate God's grace. God will save people. Some Christians seem to think that God is going out of business. But biblical Christians know that God constantly works through human witness and evangelism to win the lost. But sadly, some of the more orthodox Christians may say they believe in God's saving power, but their actions speak otherwise. We need to understand and rely on the fact that the following verses are still in the Bible. Yeah, that's what I said. These verses I'm about to read, they're still in the Bible. You open your Bible, that perfect Word of God, and they're still right there. They haven't been erased or taken away. 1 Timothy 1.15 Paul says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul said. That's why he came. That's why he came. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then again in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, if anybody wants to talk to you about, well, God doesn't want those people to be saved. He only wants these people to be saved. Just these elect people over here, but not those people over there. Go to these scriptures. Who does God want to be saved? Everyone. Everyone. This is who our God is. He doesn't want any human to be damned. Though sadly, a great many will choose to be. Now, Christ tells us that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And not for man. The only humans who will be there will be volunteers, those who have chosen to reject Jesus Christ. You see, we haven't passed unknowingly into some kind of a, of a new dispensation 
where God has stopped saving by grace through faith. By his kindness, he is still leading people to repentance. He is still convicting. I'm sorry about that. His name is Clifford. He's a big red dog. He's uh, our grandson's dog. So, <laughs> okay, back to where we were. God is still saving people. You know, negative thinking Christians can think of a hundred reasons why it seems that few people are being saved today. But God would rather have us look forward to his grace in this next year. There is still room in the house of God. There is still room in the family of God. There is still room at the feet of Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Gentiles has not yet come in. And the very many stories of Muslims, Jews, and others coming to Christ in the midst of all the evil and horrors going on in the Middle East and elsewhere, including a great many people in Iran, the most vicious, hateful, terrorist-supporting, Christian-hating nation on the planet. Many Iranians are coming to Christ secretly, quietly, because if it's found out, they'll be killed. But we have people in there who are telling us of so many who hate their government, who see what they're doing, and know that Islam is wrong, and they are coming to Christ. These true stories should encourage us as we see our God working in the hearts of people, often without any Christian human being involved. But God does many of these directly himself through dreams and visions. God's working. Even if we can't get in there, there's nowhere he can't go. Okay, another thing that we should be anticipating that we can confidently say we will experience in 2024 is God's goodness. God is absolutely good and he's not going to change. He will bless he will bless people. He will bless his church, and he will bless many of the unsaved. Remember in John chapter 11, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, was seriously sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, sent for Jesus in verse 3 of that chapter. They knew the nature of Christ. They knew that he loved Lazarus, 
and wanted the best for him. Now, we usually focus on Martha's unbelief as Christ confronts her after Lazarus died. But have you ever really taken a close look at her great statements in verse 11? It comes out as an accusation, but it's a statement of great faith. You, you remember this verse. It's when she said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's saying an awful lot there. Yeah, it sounds like an accusation, but she's also expressing great faith and knowledge of who Jesus is and what he does. You see, she had anticipated, looked forward to the goodness of God. She had anticipated a blessing. Certainly, the passage teaches us that God is in control even when we may not understand his purposes. Remember, Jesus waited several days before going to Lazarus. But we should anticipate the spiritual blessings that God promised us in this age of grace. As Martha and Mary quickly found out, as Jesus not only brought their brother back to life, but totally healed of the sickness that he had as well. So he didn't do what they wanted. That would have been a great blessing, heal their brother. He did something even greater. He allowed their brother to die, allowed him to be in the tomb for three days. No one could survive that. And then he brought him out alive. He brought him out alive. A much greater blessing than they were anticipating. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and you know, if, if this isn't highlighted in your Bible, it should be. It's a very simple statement, but it's so profound. Ephesians 1, chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That tells us so much about our God. And we need to anticipate that. We need to look for it. Another thing that we should look forward to, that we should expect and anticipate this year, is God's guidance. God's guidance. He will lead us. He will direct his people. He will tell us the ways that we should go. So many people today don't know what to do or where to turn, including Christians who seem to have trouble finding their way. Folks, this should not be. 
all genuine believers have one who leads them. God is always active in our lives. I'm going to read from the Psalms and then from, from John as well. Psalm 23. Remember that Psalm? Verses 2 and 3. The psalmist says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Did you know that sheep are terrified of rough waters? They see a lake or even a pond that's being turbulent because of the wind or whatever. They run away from it, even if they're thirsty. So he makes us to lie down in green pastures. That means good grass. And he leads us beside still waters. Still waters. Psalm 48, verse 14, we read, For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to death. He will be our God, even to death. You see, God's leading doesn't mean that we're going to escape death. But he'll lead us through it. And when we come out on the other side, <laughs> be awesome. Jesus told the disciples just shortly before he was arrested, he's assuring them that they're going to they're going to they're going to be helped when he's gone. They're going to they're going to be they're going to have a helper. He says, however, when he, the Spirit of Truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth. You need to remember that. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Indeed, we even pray this in Matthew 6, Verse 13, as we studied a few months ago, we pray, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we pray that God won't lead us the wrong way, even though we know he won't, but to deliver us from the direction that the devil would have us go. Our God the one that we worship now. And you know what's funny? People, people forget this. The God that we worship right now, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the same God who led Noah to build the ark. He's the same God who led Abram to Canaan, who led Moses to the backside of the desert and then back to confront Pharaoh, 
Pharaoh and then lead the Hebrew nation to the promised land. This same God led Joshua and Gideon and Samuel and David and Daniel and he will lead us as well. It's the same God. When we read of those awesome things he did, we need to remember it's the same God that we worship. The same God who loves us. He will lead us. Something else we can anticipate because we know it will happen. We know that in 2024, we will receive God's instruction. He will speak to us. Guaranteed, no doubt about it. God will speak. You'll recall that in 1 Samuel chapter 3, young Samuel heard the voice of God in the house of Eli, the priest. Eli made little Samuel aware. Oh, he misread the oh, I'm sorry. He heard the voice of God in the house of Eli, but was not anticipating it. He missed the voice. He misread the voice and thought it came from Eli. Eli made little Samuel aware that God was speaking to him. At that time, Samuel wasn't yet really aware of God. Afterward, after he was instructed by Eli, he went back to his bed, and for the third time he heard God say, Samuel, Samuel. And this time, little Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's not a bad statement for us to make, too. When we have a sense that God's knocking on our heads or something, you know, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So we need to know that God will speak to us in 2024. He speaks to us through the preaching of his word. If we have ears to hear. He speaks through our own personal Bible reading and study. If we enter into it, truly seeking and listening and anticipating his voice. In Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, I'm going to read from the International Standard Version. We looked at this a few weeks ago. We read, Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened for you. Because everyone who keeps asking will receive, and the person who keeps searching will find, and the person who keeps knocking will have the door opened. That clearly tells us that God will be speaking to us. In Acts chapter 18, one night, 
the Lord told Paul in the vision, stop being afraid to speak out. Don't remain silent. He was giving some pretty strong instructions to Paul. And this is bold Paul that we know, but evidently he was being very timid then and God rebuked him. With his words, he spoke to Paul. I've told some of you the night that I was saved. I was writing a letter to the pastor of a church that my mother kept dragging me to. And I was writing a letter to this pastor asking him about what does this born again thing mean and all of that. And my typewriter stopped working. It was electric. An old IBM Selectric stopped working. I pounded it, wouldn't work, wouldn't work. I got all frustrated, threw myself back on the couch. Nobody else was in the house. And I heard as clear as a bell in my right ear, you're asking the wrong person. And though I had never heard the voice of Christ before, I knew who it was. I knew it. And that night I was saved. Jesus spoke to me. And then there's that great story that we'll get to after we go through chapter 16 of Matthew. That great story of the transfiguration in chapter 17. It says, while he, Peter, foot and mouth Peter, while he was still speaking, remember he told Jesus, hey, it's a good thing we're here, dude. We could make three tents, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Remember that? You know, he didn't know what to do. He was just terrified to see what he saw. So he just blurted this out. And scripture tells us that while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I believe a better translation would be, listen to him. God was speaking. And those three apostles heard him. And then there's a couple of verses that we're familiar with because they tell us how the Bible was written. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's talking about scripture and that it's breathed by God. And then Peter will tell us by whom? Who's in this? Oh, he's still trying to come up. Okay, and then Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, by the way, in this context, 
all scripture is considered prophecy because it's God speaking. Prophecy doesn't have to be foretelling. In fact, 90% of prophecy is not telling the future. It's just speaking the word of God. So Peter said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's the same as the inspiration of God. That's where we get our scripture from. It doesn't come from some man's imagination, as a lot of critics want to say. And then, speaking of God speaking to us, eight times in the Gospels, Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's challenging people to listen carefully and heed what they hear. He says this eight times because our Lord is always communicating with us. And he wants us to be listening so that we hear him. Another thing that we should be anticipating knowing that we will experience it in some form or another in these next 12 months is God's authority. God will rule. Is he at work in the affairs of the world today? Doubters and scoffers say no. The Bible tells us that no one comes to power except the Lord allows it. Hmm. These scoffers, they ask, how could God be active in the world today with so much pain and suffering and sorrow? How many times have you heard that and been disgusted by it? They obviously don't know anything about God or his word. But those questions are answered when we consider God's long-suffering in the face of man's continual evil and disobedience. But there can be no doubt to the child of God that he is certainly active and working today. I'm going to read four different quotes from the Psalms. And again, if you have your cross-reference sheet, they're right there for you. Psalm 59. The psalmist is saying to God, Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. So the psalmist is saying pretty much, God, let them know that you're in charge. Let them know. No doubt about it. Psalm 66, clear. It says he rules by his power forever. 
Forever is a long time. We can't imagine it, truly. Psalm 89, speaking to God, the psalmist says, hey, we've witnessed this in the pages of Scripture we've been reading. He says, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. That was a psalmist a thousand years before Christ. And yet Jesus lived out that very prophecy. He rules. Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So we see that God rules over the weather and natural things. He rules over all nations and peoples. In fact, there is no part of the earth or the entire universe that God does not totally control. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, speaking of God's grace, Paul says, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. That's not just authority and rule. That's using it to do something. And then in Colossians chapter 1, we read, For by him, meaning Jesus, all things were created. Who's the creator of the Trinity? Jesus Christ. All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And listen to this. And in him, in Jesus Christ, all things consist. If it wasn't for Jesus still being in charge and ruling, we'd be floating in the air into the atmosphere and dying because there wouldn't be any gravity. There may not be any atmosphere. It's because of Jesus that all things consist. He holds everything together. You know, we need to understand and accept. No, we need to welcome the fact that God rules in our lives as well. He has a master plan that he is working out in the world, which includes our individual lives. He is conforming us into his image. We read in Romans 8, 29. He is making us like him, like Jesus Christ, 
we read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. So folks, we must submit to his molding and shaping of us and our lives. It goes to that parable of the potter. He is the potter. We are the clay. He makes of us what he wills. And we should welcome that and celebrate that because there is nothing that could possibly be better for us than to be molded and shaped by God for his will. Not what we want, it's what he wants. And what he wants is a whole lot better than what we want. Something else that we, we should anticipate in this next year is Christ's second coming. We know that he will come. We don't know when. We don't know if it'll be 2024 or 3024. I won't even try to say at all that Christ will definitely return in 2024 or on any specific day. But I do say that he will come at some point in time according to God's overall plan for mankind and for his creation. I know that for many of us, the events of recent years, perhaps especially this fading year of 2023, lead us to think that the time has to be very near. But people have said that before. I remember listening to a Chuck Smith sermon. You know who Chuck Smith is. He's the founder of Calvary Chapels. He's gone to be with the Lord now. Wonderful man. But I was listening to one of his sermons from 1989. When we went to Bible college, we had to, we had to listen to his entire teaching through the Bible. And in this, in this message, in this sermon, he said, 1989 now, he said, quote, the way things are going in this world, I can't possibly see any way that we could reach the year 2000 without the Lord coming back. Oops. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the late 19th and I think he lived into the 20th century. But Charles Spurgeon, he was, he was a great preacher. He was asked if he thought Christ might return soon. And when he was asked that, he said, I think not. After repeating this answer many times, someone finally got up enough nerve to ask him, 
Pastor, doesn't the Bible command that we anticipate Christ's coming? Why then do you say, I think not? <laughs> Spurgeon answered, because the Bible says, quote, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There's wisdom there. <laughs> at an hour you don't expect. You know, believers have looked for Christ's return for almost 2,000 years. It seems ridiculous in the eyes of skeptics for us to still anticipate his coming. As the Apostle Peter says, I'm sorry, my dog's going crazy. Excuse me, get out. Sorry about that. Skeptics are saying, how can you still believe that? Seems ridiculous to still anticipate his coming. As Apostle Peter said, even in his lifetime, which was very soon, within decades of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, Peter wrote, to the church, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter said, that's what they're going to do. They're going to say that. Jesus himself said in uh, two verses of John 14, verse 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And then in verse 18, he said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, if we believe that Jesus is Jesus, if we believe that he is God the Son, he is a second person of the Trinity, he is eternal, past and future, he knows all things, and he's absolutely perfect, would he say, I will come to you and lie? No. And then we're going to read how John closes the book of Revelation with, with these words. He says, He who testifies to these things, meaning the whole book of Revelation before him, he who testifies to these things says, red letters, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So the whole idea is the interpretation of the word quickly. <laughs> you know, we, we really do need to remember 
that Scripture tells us that to God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. We don't like that because we want God to work on our timetable. But um, he is coming. He will come for us. And we're going to enjoy a limitless, eternal future with him. So let's not be impatient. <laughs> so like many generations before us, and I'm sure right now, we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus. It could be in 2024. I hope so. And we should be prepared for it. But in the meantime, we should be engaged in the Father's business, fulfilling our calling, praying for the salvation of the lost, studying God's word, and doing battle against the enemy. We don't need to read the experts in economics, culture, or politics to know what this coming year holds. We don't need to consult the psychics and astrologers either. The children of God need only to consult our Bibles and be listening and be available to the call of God on our lives. May we be that kind of faithful, anticipating servant of our Lord Jesus in 2024. Now, just to encourage and exhort you, as I do every year at this time, I'm going to remind you of some facts that I hope you will take to heart. It takes about 70 hours to read the Bible. 70 at normal reading speed. That's 4,200 minutes. If we divide 4,200 minutes by 365 days, it comes out to 11.5 minutes per day to read the Bible, the whole Bible, in a year. If you skip weekends, or if you use weekends to catch up, you'll have 261 days to read. So 4,200 minutes divided by 261 days is a whopping 16.1 minutes per day. Folks, that is less than 20 minutes a day a weekday to read the complete Bible through from beginning to end in a year. You and I certainly can devote 15 to 20 minutes every day to reading God's Word. Maybe reading with your spouse, your friend, your family, your prayer partner, or devotionally all alone with God. Whatever way you choose, choose to do it, not as a New Year's revolution, I'm sorry, resolution, that was a Freudian slip, but as a lifetime choice 
not just this year, but every year for the rest of your life. It's probably one of the most important things the man who discipled me taught me to do. He said, don't read the Bible once and think you know the Bible. He said, you read it every year, all the way through, and every year you will see something new. You will learn something new. Because every year when you read it, you're a new person. You aren't the one you were last year. And the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible will highlight for you what you need when you're reading it each time. Now, in my 44 years as a Christian, I've read through the Bible at least 35, 36 times. There were some years where I was a real goof-off. But I'll tell you, and it's so true, every year it's fresh and it's new. There were some years where I wouldn't pick up a Bible that I'd read before because I'd highlighted in it and I'd written in it and all that. And I wouldn't take my familiar translation. I'd pick a different translation and I'd read that. I'm, it may make me angry, like when I read the NIV, terrible, terrible translation, but I'd read the different translations. And every time, every time, it turns out to be an exciting experience. So I challenge you to do that. When you do, you will grow in your knowledge of God. You grow in your knowledge of his will, his ways, and what he requires of you. And he will grow your faith. That's not bad for a 15 to 20 minute of the day investment. Now having told you that again, and I've said that, I've told this church that now for 19 times, 19 years, and another church for years before that. So keep that in your minds. But I'm going to go back now in conclusion for our message this New Year's Eve day. We should be excited to anticipate what we know will happen in the next 12 months. By his grace, God will continue to save people. And you and I can participate in that by sharing our testimony, sharing the gospel, praying for people, being bold, and representing our Lord faithfully. Next, knowing of our God, of our Lord's goodness, we should anticipate his blessing. His blessing on us, our families, this church, the true worldwide church, and yes, his blessing on the unsaved as well by drawing them to repentance and salvation in Jesus Christ. Do you remember that in the book of Romans, Paul says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? It's his kindness, his goodness. It's his love that leads us to repentance. Next, as his children his bond slaves, and his ambassadors, 
We carry all those roles. We wear all those hats. We must expect and anticipate God's guidance and his leadership in our lives. <clears throat> we'll have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit within us. We'll have to be sensitive to circumstances, both good and bad, that God will bring or allow into our lives. And we'll need to use our Bibles. I want you to hear me clearly here. We'll need to use our Bibles not just as a book to read, but as an ongoing, living conversation between you and me and our God. We need to have ears to hear and eyes to see our Lord communicating with us by his word. And we should respond to what he says to us there through prayer and obedience. Okay, the fourth point, our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a very personal and intimate one. He speaks to each of us individually as well as corporately. And we should expect him to speak to us, maybe by a whisper in our mind from the Holy Spirit or an urge to halt in your reading because he has something to say to you. Have you ever been reading your Bible and suddenly it's like you hit the wall and God says, don't go any further. Hang out right here. I got to talk to you about this. If you haven't experienced that, you haven't read your Bible right because the Holy Spirit does that all the time to be because he has something to say. Or he may speak to us through a, a a confluence of apparently unrelated circumstances and any number of other ways, including having us actually hear his voice. But by whatever means, know that God will speak and is speaking to and with you. He's doing it all the time. And we certainly longingly anticipate the return of our Lord to end the evil and unrighteous and to rule and reign for eternity. He will come. It will be awesome to suddenly find ourselves with him in the clouds at the rapture. Remember, Scripture says it'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. That's not by batting your eyes. That's not your eyelids closing and opening. It's the twinkling, that little speck of light that reflects off your eye for just a second, a millisecond. It's going to happen that fast. And then we'll be doing what we're doing like right now, and then all of a sudden we'll be looking Jesus Christ in the face and him into us. And we'll be with him forever. We need to look for that. <laughs> and for him to rule and to reign for eternity. It'll be incredible to suddenly find ourselves with him in the clouds. 
and it will be awesome to suddenly find ourselves with him in the clouds on white horses as he and we descend from heaven and destroy the armies of his enemies. You can read that in Revelation 19. But he won't only rule then. He's also ruling now, especially in the lives of his people. That's why our obedience is so important. In fact, our Bibles tell us that our obedience is how we love Jesus. It's how we show him our love. The Bible doesn't say anything about having worn cushy goosebumps. It says we love him by obeying him. And you could read that three times in John 14, once in John 15, and again in 1 John 5. So despite the unknown that's ahead for us in 2024, as followers of Jesus Christ, we already know the truly important things for certain. And they shouldn't be just back-of-the-brain truths, but those truths that daily, even moment by moment, determine our lives. Our anticipation of 2024 shouldn't be one of fear or dread or the wringing of our hands Sure, it'll be crazy with all the politics and accusations and legal battles and wars and terrors and leadership by corruption like we have now. The economy is in trouble and our national leadership seems to favor foreign nations more than our own. But, but God is still on his throne. He still loves us. He's promised to care for us. He's not surprised with anything. But personally, I anticipate a few nice surprises from him. God bless you this new year. Stay safe tonight and next week and throughout the whole year. And next week we'll pick up our study of Matthew at chapter 16. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit speaking to us, sometimes through your, through your word and sometimes just in our hearts, in our minds. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.